Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivi. I'm the host, Zivi Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Ziviverse, or really, the LA Times called it the Ziviverse, and we're going with it. Go to ZiviOwens.com to learn more and follow me on Instagram at ZiviOwens. Megan Nix is the author of Remedies for Sorrow, An Extraordinary Child, A Secret Kept from Pregnant Women, and A Mother's Pursuit of the Truth. Megan is a mother of five. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the Denver Post, and elsewhere. She regularly speaks to medical audiences and hospital systems about congenital CMV and was the keynote speaker at Moderna, Inc. in March of 2020. Megan and her family divide their time between Colorado and Alaska, where her husband fishes for a living. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your memoir, Remedies for Sorrow, An Extraordinary Child, A Secret Kept from Pregnant Women, and A Mother's Pursuit of the Truth. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Zibby. So tell listeners about your story, about your daughter, about what happened, your advocacy, all of all of it. Just Start from the beginning. Okay. And the fact that you live in Alaska and Colorado, and I mean, you're such a, this is amazing. (laughs) Like (laughs) the backdrop of the story is just sensational. So, okay, go for it. Okay. So I'm in Colorado now. And yes, we live in Alaska for about four months of the year during salmon fishing season, where my husband's a professional fisherman in Sitka, Alaska. And in 2015, I was pregnant with our second child. And I had a pretty typical pregnancy until 36 weeks. And I say typical, but intuitively I knew something was different. And I 
would turn sideways in the mirror and I just looked small to myself. And my OB and the midwives at the practice that I go to where you kind of cycle between them, they just said, oh, there's a, you know, a large margin of error when we do the fundal measurement and you look great. And then at 36 weeks, it turned out the baby had microcephaly. So her head was disproportionately small to her body. And from that point forward, everything changed. When I gave birth to her at 40 weeks, she came out and she was completely silent. And she had these deep black eyes that just like bored into me. And I knew she was alive, but she just totally rocked me with both awe and this drawing back, knowing that there was something that was not voiced about her. And this continued to be the case. So I could also see that she was remarkably small. And it turned out she was five pounds at 40 weeks. She went on to fail all of her in-hospital hearing tests. And the rotating pediatricians would do their assessments of her, but they were also very silent. And I would say, like, is everything okay? Is everything okay? And they just seemed sort of perplexed, but not forward with any kind of testing or questioning. And so we were discharged from the hospital. And at 10 days, I went to her first pediatric appointment at the pediatrician's office. And we had actually moved it earlier than the typical two weeks because we were, I was leaving for Alaska the next day with my mom and my daughters. My husband had missed her birth and was already up fishing. And he's a very involved dad, but we had decided that I would have her in Colorado because I didn't want to have a second C-section and recover from surgery during his like seven days a week working schedule um, in Alaska. And so the pediatrician looked at her failed hearing tests and her size. And he said, I want to test her for this common but little known virus called CMV. And I thought CMV was just like the flu or, you know, something and that was going to be quickly passing. And I said, well, what do you do if she has it? And he said, well, if she has it, then there's an aggressive medication that she needs to take. And he didn't reveal the spectrum at that time. But I said, I need to be with my husband and I, I like to leave for Alaska tomorrow. And he said, I think you should still go. You'll get the results when you're up there and a pediatrician there can direct her care. So he tests her and it's a non-invasive test, or I might not have done it. It's just a urine catch. They tape what the nurse called a potty purse onto the baby's hips. And she peed and it went to the lab. We got to Alaska. I sort of like, well, prior to leaving for Alaska, of course, I Googled CMB. And it opened this deep, dark hole. And it was basically this congenital condition that I could have passed on to the baby in utero that can cause deafness, blindness, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, autism, early infant death. And it's one of the leading causes of stillbirth. And at that point, I did not dig too much deeper. I just was so focused on the baby before me and her just sort of heartbreaking beauty and her thereness. You know, she she was who she is. And yet I was just sort of drowning in these unknowns. And so I get up to Alaska, which tends to be a fairly lonely place for me. Sitka is on an island that's very foggy. 
And while we have good friends there, it's just a challenge for me to be there with sort of the domestic imbalance of the fishing life. And I called the doctor and the nurse answered and she said, I don't have the authority to tell you the test results. Dr. Kono is going to call you tonight from home. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? Like what? And um, so I hung up and then like a couple seconds later, my phone rang and she said, this is Susie. She has congenital CMV. She said, I have to tell you the results, sweetheart. She has, she tested positive for congenital CMV. And that began the journey of research and parenting and really just this new understanding of the capacity of motherhood that I had not really known with my firstborn. And I went to the library as soon as I could when when my husband was home and my mom was there to help me with the kids too. So I would flee to the library and I started doing this research. And while I was there, I discovered that CMV is the leading cause of birth defects. It is contagious in the saliva of one out of three toddlers. And obstetricians are intentionally not talking about it with women because they say that the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has stood behind their statement that knowing this, knowing to do some simple things during pregnancy, if you have a toddler, which makes you high risk for contracting CMV, they say that this would be impractical or burdensome to know about it during pregnancy. And I just found that entirely unethical, obviously. And I found it really stunning that so many babies could have this disease and there was not a book about it. And so I just knew that I had to write the book. And we just sort of figured that out, that I would be devoted to writing and I would stay home because Anna would end up needing all these therapies. And and we did find out very shortly thereafter that she is profoundly deaf. And she's remarkable. And I started to spend a lot of time with families whose children were disabled. And I just found this new subculture of parenting that I had not found visible in narratives, in images, in healthcare that said all of these children are of value and that pregnancy should begin with that kind of foundation that we cannot prevent everything or should we be during pregnancy, but we should know about this leading risk to our pregnancies so that we can prevent stillbirth and life-threatening disabilities. And so as time went along, the book really started to become about other families and about this new side of motherhood where I was really navigating all that I had known as a hearing mother into how to raise a deaf child and how to make these decisions in in her silence and honoring her silence and also like, you know, bringing her along into our lives with us. Oh my gosh, Megan, what a story. I mean, just living through that would be enough, but to then also write a book at the same time. I mean, it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to stay home. And I mean, the amount of stuff you were having to deal with, it's hard to write a book anyway even if everything's fine. So it's, it's really, you know, it's really incredible. Thank you. It was not a short process. So the book took me about eight years to write and it just sort of, you know, it accumulated. I, I feel like there were times, a lot of people tell writers, you need to write every day, 
But for me, writing is very seasonal and it has to do with where my kids are at their current moment in time, where I am at my current moment in time. And I've always felt like if I'm thinking about it deeply, that counts too. And if I'm reading something that connects to the writing, that counts too. And sometimes I would get, I use the notes app in my iPhone to write. You probably do too. And sometimes it's like a sentence in a month. And other times it's like I bang out 10,000 words a day. So it's just sort of a mysterious process for me. It's not very clean or organized. It just happens and then there's a lot of revision. How did you link up with Corey, who works for Zimmy? Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) So, yes, Corey Hunter was a huge force behind the final product of the book. So in the book, towards the end of the book, I tell this story that I had... I had been working on it for not very long, and I ran into a friend who said, you got to just send it out. Just send it to the biggest agent that you can find in New York. And so I did. And it was just a partial manuscript. It was like 50 pages. And we went out with it, and it like just wasn't ready. And it was pretty heartbreaking. We got like so many rejections back. And this was when Anna was about two. And so she was flourishing and I was able to devote some more time to writing than I imagined I would be able to. And then this new journey of grief in the rejection of the story started to come into our story. And I took a big break after it had been rejected. And a lot of the feedback from like smaller houses was this issue is too large for us to take on and do it justice. And then there was some like sort of odd superstition. My agent told me that people thought if they took on this book about CMV, their child would end up with CMV, which is so ironic because all the studies have shown if you know about CMV, you're like 80% less at risk of contracting it. So I just had to kind of deal with these weird situations and continue to. There's just a lot of pushback to know about it because it is an inconvenient truth that it's this ubiquitous virus that is avoidable and yet has always been here and will remain. And so anyway, so I decided to just kind of take a step back. And in that stepping back, I thought I need to find somebody who can really look at this because everybody who had seen it, they liked the writing. They thought the story was right for the public and necessary. And Corey worked for I think she consulted for a nonprofit that I had worked for in Colorado. I ran their education program in schools, sending writers into schools for like eight weeks to teach on behalf of English teachers. And the director of that nonprofit said, you should talk to Corey Hunter. And so Corey took on my project and and I said, I just need to know why this won't sell and I need to make it sellable. I need to go back out with this. Some people had said, like, you need to just put it away, start another book. And I was like, I can't. This is so critical for people to know about this because these studies have shown that 90% of women don't know CMV exists. And Corey looked at it and she said, you need a new structure. I had gone out with this three-part structure that was somewhat vague and there wasn't a great thread running through the book. You know, writers call it the through line. It just wasn't quite working. And she also said, most nonfiction books sell on proposal, which I didn't know. And I had gone out, you know, with the narrative. 
And so I really didn't want to. At the time, I now had three kids and I was like, a proposal, a proposal is a hundred plus page word document. I don't have time to basically write a small book about the book that I will then need to write. But I decided I needed to. And so it took me about a year and a half and under Corey's very insightful and just grace-filled guidance, she's just so humble and so perceptive. We put this proposal together and with her help, we really looked at like, (laughs) there were certain moments in the proposal you have to designate an audience. And I was like, I don't mean to sound hubristic or anything, but my audience is everyone. Everyone knows someone who will be pregnant and everybody is, you know, in favor of creating the healthiest environment possible for bringing children into the world. So really everyone, grandmothers, uncles, brothers, women, children, like my oldest daughter has actually read my book. She's 11 and uh, and high schoolers, you know, when they're really starting to learn about human development and things that can disrupt it. And so we went out with a proposal. I found a different agent and we sent it back to some of the editors who had seen it originally as the partial manuscript. And one was Chris Popolo at Doubleday, who said, I remember seeing that. I want to take a second look. And she made me an offer. And it was just an incredible moment, probably one of the happiest of my life besides giving birth to my children. Wow, what a story. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Now that the book is out, how do you feel with your story being out there? What are the takeaways that everybody, every uncle, everybody in the world needs to know to prevent this from happening? Maybe let's start there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sure. So CMV is this everywhere virus that affects about 50 to 80% of the U.S. population before you're 40, you've probably caught CMV. But if you're pregnant, you're always at risk because even if you've had it before, you can catch a new strain of it. So really the simple guidelines are because CMV is spread through direct contact. So it's not airborne like COVID. You have to get the saliva of somebody who has CMV directly in your mouth or urine. Those are kind of the two primary 
transmission routes and stay-at-home caretakers are specifically at risk because toddlers are constantly shedding fluids. And for some reason, like if an adult has CMV, they only carry it for like a week, but a toddler can carry it for up to 40 months. So if you're, and it's, and it's, so it's not dangerous at all if you're out of the womb, basically, unless you're undergoing like an organ transplant, then it can be very dangerous. It's only dangerous in the severely immunosuppressed or to a fetus during pregnancy who is immunosuppressed and in the midst of rapid development. So during pregnancy, the guidelines are to just kiss your toddler on top of the head rather than on the lips to not finish their snacks. I know that is like (laughs) the go-to method of feeding yourself when you're pregnant is to finish the macaroni and cheese. But I have five kids now. So I, I had three after having Anna and I always practiced these measures. And, and really, I think they've become more normal after COVID to just like be aware that the people in your house could be carrying something that you really don't want when you're pregnant. So just eat your own food, use your own toothbrush, use your own chapstick. When I'm pregnant, I just tell my kids like my water bottle is my water bottle. I don't want your germs when I am pregnant. And that can greatly reduce your risk. And women have shown in surveys time and time again, they want to know about CMV and they're willing to do these things during pregnancy in order to reduce their risk of contracting it. And so really also just like the discussion of CMV is greatly lacking in the U.S. because once these children are born, less than 10% are ever even diagnosed with the disease and offered the opportunity to be treated. So really it's this systemic problem of like not knowing about it is creating these problems that we are just failing to address on a global level with this disability causing illness. So aside from the book, I know this is a major cause for you. How are you advocating, letting people know, teaching? What are the steps you're taking to spread the word about this? And thank you, by the way, for all of the good that you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you. So in Colorado, in the process of realizing how few babies are actually tested for CMV, I went back to the hospital where Anna was born, and there's sort of two ways to approach screening newborns for CMV. One is doing targeted testing, which a lot of states have begun to do, whether that's legislatively mandated or not. And that means testing them if they have any sign of CMV at birth. So at the hospital where Anna was born, it's called Lutheran. We overhauled their newborn program that if a baby is born like Anna, and there's specific standards, of course, but if they're full term and underweight or in the NICU, if they have a disproportionately small head size, or if they fail their hearing tests, that should trigger a test for CMV in the hospital. Because Mm -hmm. one of the big problems is if that test is not done in hospital, that baby can go home and then catch postnatal CMV from a toddler who has a cold. And then you really don't know if it was contracted congenitally and can be causing progressive hearing loss or blindness or, you know, any kind of cognitive delay. So, so targeted testing tests them if they have a symptom, the better way to do it. And this is at work in a lot of States uh, is to universally test all newborns for CMV. Here's why most children with CMV, with congenital CMV, which means from birth, they are born asymptomatic. And so if we only test these children who have symptoms, 
we're missing like 43% of children who could go on to lose their hearing. Now, it is true that most children who are born asymptomatic will not have as many permanent impairments as those who are born symptomatic. But still, we should be catching those who could go on to become deaf by the age of three or four. And so we now have this system in place with a more sensitive newborn dried blood spot that we can use that. It's already in place. Every baby born in the U.S. has their little heel pricked and they stamp it on the card. Well, now after just recently last year, a new assessment of that blood spot was done. We now know that it is pretty sensitive at picking up CMV in the blood. It didn't used to be. And that was kind of one of the naysayers points for many years was like, we don't have a cost effective, easy way to test that many newborns. And it isn't perfect, but there's a doctor in Minnesota named Dr. Mark Schleiss, who is now testing all newborns in Minnesota. And he says, we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good here. If it's not perfect in 10 years, it might be. And in the meantime, we are diagnosing children and we are giving families that name, which is so important to their identity and their finding of community and to the proper treatment of these children. And so I'm involved with some organizations that are really pushing for universal screening broadly in every state. One of those is the National CMV Foundation. And so today, Minnesota, as I said, Connecticut is starting universal screening in 2025. The state of New York just began a one-year pilot program. So New York is testing all of their newborns born there for the year, and then they're going to assess their data. And then four Canadian provinces do universal screening. Canada just tends to be like more aggressive with it, with less pushback. So go Canada. And, <laughs> um, and then, you know, for me, just trying to get my writing places so that people can read about our families and see the marvel that is our children and see the losses, these deep, deep losses of the children who have died from CMV and to just know our story and know our kids' importance and and to read it deeply. One place I arrived at my book was this lack of narrative medicine in the medical field. And that is doctors spending time to know the whole story of each patient. And I really found that that was really not just lacking for CMV, the story behind it and the historical silence for people to understand it. But just in general, we're seeing this like breakdown of the doctor-patient relationship because the full story is often not there due to time constraints and HIPAA and all kinds of other historical reasons. And that when we put narrative and story back into that relationship, it's very healing for doctors, no matter the time it takes. And it actually saves money in terms of patients not walking away from that practice because they don't feel understood and not being willing to go through with treatments because they don't feel heard. So the book really ends with this proposal to use the opportunity of CMV to fix the lack of narratives in general in medicine. Wow, this is amazing. What fantastic work. I hope you get like some sort of presidential medal of something or other at some point, <laughs> some point for, uh, for the work you're doing. It's, it's societally really beneficial and pretty awesome. So, well, thank you. And there's so many people. I mean, these infectious disease doctors, they're so heroic. They've been working on this disease that has basically been denied and dismissed since the 50s when it was identified. And they just so 
steadily push forward against total resistance. And I go to a lot of medical conferences, you know, to meet these doctors and they're just incredible humans. And for sure, they deserve medals as well. And and some have, have obtained them, but I would love the light to shine on them at some point. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I would just say, you know, for me, and I I loved finding your podcast because even when we don't feel we have the time to make something or to contribute something, there are ways to do it. You know, if somebody had told me that I would be writing this book in the process of having five children, (laughs) if somebody told me that when I had one, I would be like, no way. My life is inundated with tasks and everything that I need to do. And yet when you really want something, you can make the time for it. And it doesn't have to look like anybody else's time spent. It can just be the way that you do it. And it might take 12 years, but that's okay. Somebody had told me that it takes a writer about 10 years to write their first book. And I think we live, you know, in this way that we see things just coming immediately to fruition for other people. And, you know, we want that fast turnover and no delayed gratification. And it's a lengthy work. And I think the really deep works can take a long time even to just germinate. So to be patient and trusting in yourself and to not give up. I mean, for me, I had probably more rejections than most books that are on the market and it ended up becoming a book. So keep writing. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Zibby. Thanks. It was my honor. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.